Welcome, everybody, to this month's episode of Cancel Too Soon, a podcast here on The Real World, where myself, Kevin Ford, and my other podcasting partner, Jerome Cusan, discuss television series we felt were canceled too soon. And this month, we are covering one of our favorites, one show I think we both knew we wanted to cover once this idea was conceptualized, and it's one of the shows we've both been most looking forward to. That is the 2000s animated series, Clerks, the animated series. Uh, Jerome, as long as we've known each other, I know that we've both discussed Kevin Smith and been aware that we are Kevin Smith fans, but I'm kind of surprised it's taken us this long to do a podcast dedicated to the man. Yeah, I think this is pretty shocking, but this is like, this is our, this is our Kevin Smith opus right here. We are going to talk a lot about clerks, but we are going to have an an important conversation. Uh, I guess you could say we need to talk about Kevin, Kevin. Man, when that movie came out, I was like, oh, I'm glad I wasn't like – if I was younger and in school, it would be a nightmare because I feel like I would just – that would be repeated to me a lot. Yeah, I think that is uh, that is a definitely po- definite possibility and there was also the uh, the AMC show as well that I'm sure you were thrilled to death about. Oh, yeah. I forgot there was a show too. Kevin can fuck himself. Yeah, just yep, yep. Uh, two really bad titles for you. I actually didn't watch I because I uh, Annie from Shit's Creek was in that. And I was interested in that, but that, did that even get picked up for another season? It did get picked up for a second and final season, so you it will probably be worth it to go back and watch the first one because it's pretty good. But we are already way off track, and I think we need to get on track because we've got so much to discuss. Yeah, this is going to be a lot to discuss. This is something where I've talked about how I'm a fan of a lot of Conrad Thompson's wrestling podcasts, and a lot of what he says for some of his episodes are you may see the title of the episode, and that's not what it's really about. So his example is always – uh, him and Bruce Pritchard did an episode on the XFL, but what it really is is a Vince McMahon episode because it talks a lot about his idiosyncrasies and business dealings and whatnot. And even though this is a Clerks animated series episode, I think in general it's going to be a Kevin Smith episode. We're going to get into the show deeply, but I want to talk about our individual fandoms of Kevin Smith first because I think that plays into our perception of the show, the age we found it, watched it, all those different things. So I'll just start off with – when were you first introduced to Kevin Smith and which was the first film of his you saw? So I am pretty sure that the first movie I saw of his, I didn't realize it was a Kevin Smith movie, but I'm pretty sure it was Dogma. And the reason that Dogma is important to me is because I was Catholic. So that's that was a must watch when I was 14, 15 years old. So I'm pretty sure I saw that one first. The first movie that I saw definitively, I knew that Kevin Smith was the director was Mallrats, and then through that, I saw Clerks, then I saw Jay and Silent Bob, or uh, Casing Amy, and then I actually saw Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back in movie theaters in August of, uh, of 2001. So I know that it was probably around 2000, 2001 uh, that I was watching Kevin Smith and had a full awareness of who he was, and I very much feel like for people our age, maybe a tad older, maybe a tad younger, Like he is such an important figure in terms of introducing us to the idea of independent movies and that kind of thing. So he is a very, very important person, not unlike the Robert Rodriguez's and Quentin Tarantino's, although my feelings on Kevin Smith have definitely changed over the course of the last 20 years, which I'm sure we will get into. But there is no doubt that he is very, very important, uh, an important aspect of me as a teenager. 
Same. So I have an older brother. Uh, he's four years older than me, and he was the one who introduced me to Kevin Smith. And I bet that's a lot of people who are younger, get a lot of their college age or late high school siblings are the ones who introduced them to these. So Mallrats was the first one I watched. And that's interesting to me because that's what Kevin Smith has said before, that that's the gateway drug to his movies. Is Mallrats is usually the first one a lot of people see dig the humor and then check out his other stuff. And that was the case for myself. Growing up, we just had like one family computer and it was like a day or weekend or something. My parents were away and my brother put Mallrats on the computer and I watched it and I was like, what is this? Like it was so unlike anything I'd ever seen. And then Clerks the Movie was what I watched after that. And I don't remember the exact order afterwards. I feel like I saw Strike Back before I had seen Dogma and Chasing Amy but I know I didn't see any of them in theaters until Clerks 2. And then they, and then I don't exactly remember when I saw the animated series, but I definitely, definitely did not see it on television. I definitely watched the whole thing on DVD. But yeah, that was the beginning of my Kevin Smith fandom. And I, so, and, uh, and I do have to say, An Evening with Kevin Smith is also really, really important as well. That came out in the early 2000s. I don't know the year qu- quite well. but I think it was I, 2003. But man, like an evening with Kevin Smith. I mean, it was basically podcasts before there were podcasts, and that was hugely important. Just because, I mean, there's there the stories I would say are borderline iconic, like the Superman story with the spider, the Prince story, how he met his wife. Like it is, it is, it it is a huge part of the Kevin Smith experience and being a Kevin Smith fan. I would say. Yeah, it was basically. Podcast pre-podcast. If you've not seen it, I'm sure it's broken up on YouTube over various stories and the whole thing's on there. I've even found like dollar store copies that have like the fir- like one or two of the fir- of the Evening Smith with uh, Evening with Kevin Smith plus the Stanley interview he did. Uh, and if you can find it for that, holy cow, is that a, a great price? But yeah, that's some of the some of the most iconic Kevin Smith things I think are those stories. He's such a great order and I think that's why his podcast empire was so big and he was really at the beginning of that he was in right on the the cusp and like the halcyon days of of podcasting being a thing and has been able to grow it into something pretty large where I think he's he's still considered especially in the in the corner of geekdom one of the bigger podcasters even to this day and so we both said if it wasn't your first uh when did you and and we both said that it wasn't the first movie we saw i know i watched clerks the the movie second when did you say you watched uh the clerks movie in in order of your kevin smith movies it was the the third movie that i watched because i watched mall rats first and i think i literally went to a video store and rented clerks that night and watched it because that's how much i i really enjoyed mall rats and uh Clerks, in terms of just watching it compared to Mallrats and Dogma, is it is a very different experience because Clerks is like if you want to talk about like independent movies and like crappy independent movies, like just in terms of the way it looks, Clerks is it just it looks really bad compared yeah. to what we see now. And like what you could do for thirty thousand dollars now compared to what you could do for thirty thousand dollars then i mean it's night and day like now you could shoot that movie on your freaking iphone right and have no problem and you wouldn't have to worry about lighting because you're shooting digitally it was a completely different world really an achievement that that movie even got made and and produced and all that there's a great clerks documentary about the making of the movie uh that's on the blu-ray and was featured on the 10th anniversary dvd i really recommend and that is actually uh an interesting point is i know 
I got a DVD player for Christmas of 2002, and two of the very first things I bought were the first season of The Simpsons and uh, Clerks. Wow, that's uh, that's pretty wild. For me, Kevin Smith has always been a career of yes buts. Like, and when I say that, I'm talking about like the way that his career went. Like Judd Apatow, it feels like he basically had the career that Kevin Smith should have had in a lot of ways. And it feels like Kevin Smith was either too early or too late on certain things. Like I talk, I think about Mallrats. Like I feel like a movie like Mallrats would have been a much bigger deal like 10 years earlier or 10 years later just because of the tone of comedy. I feel like a movie like Chasing Amy would be much more accepted like even five or six years later in terms of having a gay character and things like that. Like Dogma, you have Ben Affleck and Matt Damon coming off their Academy Award winning perform their Academy Award winning screenplay. They're together again, but oh, it's a movie about religion, so that's going to be really dicey. In Dogma, you have Alan Rickman just before those Harry Potter movies hit. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. You know, Jan Silent Bob Strike Back. Like you have all these really important like you have all these people who are like either on the cusp of stardom in the middle of their peak. Or, like, are about to be rediscovered. I think about, like, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher both having cameos in that. Like, Jersey Girl is a movie that should have been a big deal, but all that stuff with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez just completely derailed the movie. And I think Geely did a lot of harm. Like, you look at Zack and Mira make a porno. That's when Seth Rogen was at his peak. And because, I'm sure, because of the content, like, Zack and Mira didn't really do that well. And... Like that that's Kevin Smith's career in a nutshell. Like it just feels like he has just missed on so many things, which is weird to me because it feels like his collaborators have gone on to do really big things. Like Ben Affleck is still a really big movie star. Uh, Scott Mosier directed The Grinch, and I feel like The Grinch made more money than any Kevin Smith movie and probably all of Kevin Smith's entire catalog combined. Like Dave Klein is shooting Star Wars for Robert Rodriguez. Like it's 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 just an amazing thing to think about sometimes. Yeah, that's a really good point. I and there's actually quite a bit of that we'll discuss about the too early or too late as we get through this episode a little bit. He's an interesting one because even like when you talk about Judd Apatow, like basically he's admitted like Zach and Miri was him basically making a Judd Apatow movie, and it wasn't a Kevin Smith movie. And I think there's a lot of reasons it didn't do so great, but I think at its core, like it just didn't feel like a genuine effort from him. It felt like a cash grab and Kevin Smith is not above a cash grab. There's plenty of those that he's done throughout his career. So I think there's, there's a strange mix of him with earnestness with cash grabs. And that makes, and not knowing when to let things go or let certain ideas or characters go away. And that speaks to the, uh, too late, aspect of him as well. Um, but I would say one thing that makes him endearing is I feel like even if some jokes don't age or some things in his movies don't age particularly well, I find him to be a very earnest and genuinely good person. Yeah. I mean, I think that his podcast is probably some of the best things he's done just because he's gotten uh, to be himself. And I think if Kevin Smith had been kind of the writer showrunner as opposed to ever being a director, I think it would have changed the trajectory of his career a little bit. Or if he could have been able to like become a director through TV instead, I think it would have made a huge difference because I think if you look at any of his work, the weakest stuff is always just the direction of 
his movies, with a couple of exceptions. Like I would say, like Red State is probably the best thing in terms of directing. Red State is probably the best thing he ever directed. Um, and even like Jersey Girl was probably one of the better directed movies uh, that he's ever had. But I think in terms of this project specifically, like you don't have to worry about that. You're just you get Kevin Smith as the writer. Uh, with some veteran, uh, with some other veteran TV writers, so we're not necessarily going to have to talk about like Kevin Smith in terms of um, like how he's moving the camera, or in his case, does it move the camera, or make any of those jokes. But yeah, I think that the thing that I'm, the the thing that's so wild to me about this show is you look at so many of the shows that started like just before, or just after, like South Park, still yes. on the air. Family Guy was canceled, still on the air on its 17th season. Futurama, been canceled three or four times, has literally been brought back every single time. King of the Hill is being rebooted. It had 13 seasons. And, like, these animated shows just go on forever. Bob's Burgers has been on the air for 12 seasons. And it's getting a feature film. Yeah, I mean, I've seen that trailer for that movie, like, a bajillion times at this point. Like, The Simpsons is in its 30... 33rd season or whatever. So it's just wild to me that this, like this clerks couldn't have had a 20 year run maybe, but it's just wild to think about like if this show in a different era, like this is this to me, this to me smells like something that Hulu would have been all in on and they could have gotten a little raunchier, a little dirtier. And Jay and Silent Bob would not be selling fireworks. They could just sell weed or maybe they wouldn't, or maybe they would have a legalized weed business, and they would actually take over the video store there you from, go. Uh, from Randall. So it would just be a different thing, and and I think it would just I think it would have found an audience a lot easier. Yeah, I think this was so meant for like the streaming digital age, and in that respect, it came too early. But I think the timing of a lot of the shows you've mentioned is what got it ultimately on the air. But before we do talk about that. What are your memories of seeing it for the first time, and how many times do you think you've watched this whole thing back to front? I probably, to I've probably seen it like a half dozen times, if not more, because it's such an easy watch. And of course, I've listened to the commentary. I didn't listen to the commentary for this for this viewing because I didn't have time, but I've definitely seen this show quite a bit. And uh, I got to I got to dust off literally the uh, the old DVDs and uh, <laughs> and uh, and watch it in glorious standard definition. So. Uh, is it streaming anywhere by chance? Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure you have to purchase it. I, I couldn't find I, it. Because, right, but I just mean it's not on a service to stream. Uh, it's just, it's weird. A lot of Kevin Smith stuff, it's in a weird spot because of Miramax. So right. you will have a hard time, especially finding Dogma of, of all movies. So I, I hope that the ownership eventually gets settled and we can get all of Kevin Smith's library like streaming somewhere. But yeah. This uh, this this was not. I couldn't find it anywhere to stream for free, so I watched the DVD. I remember watching a video a while ago on YouTube, like why is Dogma not streaming anywhere? And I was like, why does this stand out amongst the rest of them? And there wasn't. There's an explanation in there or something. But this is why I still have so much physical media. Is because if you if I, there's something I want to make sure I have at all times to watch when I feel like it, that's the best way to go about it. Or a digital download, I suppose. That's just how it is. If there's something I I need to make sure I I'm able to watch at all times, I ain't taking no risks. 
The only new DVDs that I purchase is if it's Criterion and there's yes. something very specific that I want. Like a movie like Parasite has a Criterion collection or Criterion version. It's yep. the best picture. It's one of my favorite movies. So I know that I'm going to get some value out of that. And like the before, like the before trilogy is something mm-hmm. that I will watch. So that's something I got on Criterion. I, I did too. Both of those actually. So, uh, so yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely, and it's funny. One of the first DVDs I actually ever purchased Kevin Ford was the Chasing Amy Criterion Collection DVD. I don't even know. Did that have a non-Criterion release or is that just like a straight to Criterion movie? I, if it does, I've never seen it, but me neither. Yeah. Literally the first two DVDs I think I ever owned were Clerks and Chasing Amy. That shows you how much of a Kevin Smith fan I am. Well, so that brings up my question today is like, would you still consider yourself a Kevin Smith fan? Like if someone asked you if you're a Kevin Smith fan, would you say yes or no? No caveats or whatever, because I, I was listening to uh good good friend Joe Sposto, uh, who came about after Leonard F. Jakarson got hit by a bus, and he used an analogy where he said like he would still call himself a Howard Stern fan, even though he probably hasn't listened to Stern over a decade because he listened to him so much, knows so much about him, or whatever. And I'm kind of the same way with Kevin Smith, where I, except for the the groovy cartoon movie, which was part of a podcast live thing I went to, which we'll talk about later, I really haven't watched anything of his in like over a decade. I listened to some of his Fat Man on Batman podcasts that I enjoy and stuff, but even with all that, I would still say I'm a Kevin Smith fan. If if someone were to ask me and it was just a yes or no question, would you say would you agree with me or would you say no? I would I mean in, in terms of his early stuff, yes, because I think it's so formative and it's such an important part of my fabric as a human being. Like I would have to say yes because if I said no, then that would basically be me denying that clerks chasing Amy mall rats are not important parts of my life. I literally still go to the mall to this day. And we'll say, I love the smell of commerce in the morning. Like to this day, 25 years later, I will still say that either out loud or to myself. So that that just shows you how how etched in it etched in my brain those movies are. And like Clerks ran for six episodes and there's still like a half dozen lines that I will use very frequently. So I have to answer yes, but I also have to tell you, Kevin, that if you haven't seen a Kevin Smith movie in over a decade, that is probably for the best uh, because his recent output has been bad. Uh, I took a girlfriend uh, who I had at the time to see Tusk, uh, and that was an enormous mistake. And we did not break oh, up because boy. of that, but she might have been she might have been justified in doing so because what what a film, what mm. a film it was. I, I mean, I told you before we started recording that body horror is my Achilles heel and Reading just Tusk Wikipedia description, I was like, I know this for sure is not for me. Even if the movie was a good body horror film, like no way I could stomach it. Uh, So the only Kevin Smith movie I don't think I've seen is Yoga Hosers. I think I've seen all of them, including the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which is one of the most depressing film experiences that I have ever had. I've still never watched that. I feel like I planned to, and it just never happened. And I, it is it existed. Just it's it's so depressing. There's <laughs> one good scene. Should I spoil it? Do you do you care? I really don't. I guess if you're listening and haven't seen it for some reason, I guess spoiler alert. But please go ahead. Okay, so there's this scene where Ben Affleck comes back as Holden McNeil, and he talks about having kids and. 
it's basically like a payoff to chasing Amy. It's the chasing Amy ending that that is well deserved because basically like they have a kid and uh, the kid is of course played by Jason Muse's daughter, of course, of course. And it's a uh, it's it's two and a half minutes and uh, it's it's a really good scene. Like seriously, don't watch the movie. Go to YouTube and find the scene, and you will get everything that you need to out of that movie because it's the only good part. Wait, so Ben Affleck and Joey Lauren Adams have a kid? No, it's it, like the, it was like Joey Lauren Adams and her partner and Holden McNeil. Like they made a baby together. Oh, well, that's nice. I'll look that up. Yes, you should actually watch that scene because it's also emotional because Kevin Smith and Affleck uh, have a moment in it as well. So, you know, I, I will say this. I also I can understand why for some people like it's people get annoyed or whatever. And like, you know, with Apatow, we talked about it, but I do find it in a lot of ways admirable that Kevin Smith gives so many of his friends work and keeps them part of his projects if they want to be for as long as they want to be. Basically like there's, there's a part of that loyalty I really recommend, but it it did kind of bite him in the butt with this show, which we'll talk about. But hearing that he gave Jay's daughter, that role uh, is awesome. Uh, And I, and I like that he's kept, there's a lot of things he's done for Jason Mewes in his life. Uh, if you, I mean, if you listen to the first, podcast, wow. If you listen to the first do- dozen episodes of Jan Silent Bob Get Old, when they go into his, dr- like, I think that's the only place that he's ever talked about his drug problems extensively, yes. and it is, it is fucking intense, man. Uh, it's one of his books, one of Kevin Smith's books. I forget if it's Boring Ass Life or the follow up one where he talks about a lot of what he went through with Jay there, and it is scary. I mean, Strike Back basically was to keep him sober. Is like the reason that movie got made. It's pretty harrowing and it's pretty crazy. But yeah, I think that you think about like where we are now in terms of like we. I think we originally wanted to do this when Clerks Three came out, but we don't know when Clerks Three is going to come out. And if I were a betting man, I would say that the week after we record this, they're going to announce a release date because that's just how this works. So if you're listening to this and a Clerks 3 release date has been announced, then we were right, then I was right about this. But Well, well you know, if, if the history of the Clerks movies or whatever was supposed to happen tells me anything, it'll never come out. Yeah, I mean, with Kevin Smith and, you know, some of the way that he makes – I mean, I believe the movie's already been shot in in total, so I don't think that's going to be necessarily an issue. Like, sure. Because if Kevin Smith is editing it himself and all that jazz, it shouldn't be – shouldn't be too big of a deal. We'll see. We'll see. So we got to talk about the history of the show because I think this is one of the more fascinating what ifs and behind the scenes looks of the show. And we talk about right place, right time, what's going on in television and all that. And though, boy, the rocky road that Clerks Animated took to finally getting on television. So a lot of these notes I get are from the commentary of it. Some are from the Super Fantastic podcast that I listened to that did an episode on this. Some are from Internet Searching. But this is more or less – Backstory for how the show was was made. So Clerks comes out late 1993, I think, and then kind of more wide in 1994. But Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier, uh, who created the Clerks movie, had wanted to do, and they made a version of Clerks since 1995. And they had apparently pitched it to Fox around then, and the belief at that time was like Simpsons is the is the primetime animated show. They're kind of the exception to the rule where that's the only one that's going to work out. And boy, how things would change just a couple of years later. And we'll talk about that. But then we get something that I am dying to know if you have seen. They end up getting a pilot for a sitcom version of Clerks, which does exist on YouTube if for some reason you want to watch it. Jerome, have you seen this? 
I watched a couple minutes of it last night, and I thought it was an abomination. It is horrifying. I forget which network it was in, but did you know there was a spinoff show to Home Improvement called like Buddies or something like that with Dave Chappelle and Jim Brewer? Uh, I have a very vague recollection of this. So Buddies was a sitcom that was Dave Chappelle and I think um, Jim Brewer was in that. And like for whatever reason, like Jim Brewer was – or like he had rehearsed for the show and it didn't work out. But like he was a guy that they were hanging their hat on. So they had him basically in the role of Randall – but apparently both Jeff Anderson and Brian O'Halloran auditioned and didn't get their roles as Dante and Randall. Uh, then they had a third clerk. You have Carrie, a very young Carrie Russell, pre-Felicity, pre-Americans in this show. It is a debacle. And I think Smith and Mosier walked away from the show after seeing it being like, we want nothing to do with this piece of shit. Uh, it's awful. Like if you really want to spend a half hour watching it, maybe out of curiosity, it's there. But my God, is it bad? Um, yeah, it's it's it it looks like Saved by the Bell. It just the comedy is very generic. It's it's every eighties, nineties sitcom that you would just you would just completely forget about at the moment that you watched it. It's it's so bad. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. I actually kind of had forgotten about it until I started doing this write up, and I was like, oh my god, I I wonder if Jerome had seen it because I think I like stumbled across across it on accident on YouTube one night and just watched it, and I was like, well, that was a mistake. But as we talked about in 95, the thought was that Simpsons is the exception to rule with animated in prime time. Then a little show called South Park comes along and changes that opinion for a lot of networks. And to a, a lesser extent, King of the Hill and Futurama did the same. But this is also in the day when like Family Guy came about in 1999. Mission Hill, uh, Adult Swim, all these things were becoming bigger. And they thought, OK, now maybe is the time to give this another shot. And in between the sitcom pilot and this, Kevin Smith had switched agents, and someone else under the agent was Dave Mandel, who was an executive producer for Seinfeld and would later go on to work for Kirby Enthusiasm and Veep, and Seinfeld was in the stages of wrapping up, so he was looking for something else to do. So they teamed up, Kevin Smith, Mosier, and Dave Mandel, to pitch around a Clerks animated series, and they pitched it. What they said in the commentary was everywhere, but they specifically said Fox, UPN, Warner Brothers, FX, HBO – uh, and UPN was the one channel that was really interested in it. And they actually said, we want to uh, air it after Dilbert, which is another animated ser- series of sort of the, sa- the same realm of humor and audience at the time. And they were saying, we're going to give you a 13 episode order and they will all air. And that deal was basically done until Dean Valentine, who was the president of UPN at the time, gave a call to his old friend, Michael Eisner. In a way, bragging about this new cartoon that he had taken uh, under – that UPN had just got. And Eisner, the president of Disney at the time, told ABC that they should give the show a second look. And in this meeting, it was not just Kevin, Dave, and Scott going in, but Harvey Weinstein decided to go in too to this meeting. There's and so a- many canceled people that we've already brought up. Ooh, there is, Chappelle yes. and Brewer and yes. Scott Adams. It's, it's pretty wild. But, you know, keep in mind, like the Weinstein company had is who ended up picking up clerks and putting out mall rats and all the other Kevin Smith movies. So him and Harvey had a relationship, even though that the clerks animated wasn't part of that world. Kevin ultimately felt loyal to Harvey at the time. And it was actually because of that loyalty that even though ABC gave them a six episode order with no guarantee for all of them to air, Harvey essentially having a relationship with ABC himself 
And apparently the infamous line that kind of made them go with it was saying that UPN is not even going to be around in a year is what led them to saying no to UPN and going with ABC for a six-episode order. And I can't help but wonder what difference it would have made is if they didn't go with ABC. I mean, nowadays they would just go with they would just go with whoever offered the most money and offered the most episodes because at this point, like the platform almost doesn't matter. And being on a broadcast for a show like this might almost be inhibitive to the creative process. And they would end up on a Hulu or an HBO Max or something like that. So it's just, I mean, it's 20 years later, but the world is just completely different. And airing on ABC, like again, ABC's brand is just, they are the, they are the network of family comedies and they do that really well. Like, Home Improvement is a, a legendary show for a reason. Roseanne and speaking of canceled people, um, even <laughs> like to this day, like Blackish is one of the most popular shows. And although Abbott Elementary isn't a family show, like it definitely has the vibe of an ABC sitcom and the reboot of the Wonder Years is the same thing. So that's that is the thing that we, we, we talked about this with the critic and it's the same thing here. It's like they're getting away from really made them. And I don't know that. And UPN necessarily would have made a difference, but they probably would have – there probably would at least have been like 20 or 30 episodes instead of six. Well, and I think it would have been given probably a better chance and it would have fit their, their demo better. I mean let's be honest. People watching SmackDown would probably be more likely to watch the Clerks Animated Series than what was airing on ABC at the time. But the other thing to remember is ABC isn't last at this point. They had TGIF and the Sunday Night Disney movie, and that's it. Nothing else. So at the time, they're probably like, well, we're already in last, so might as well. But then something big happens with ABC, and they have a surprise smash hit in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire with Regis Philbin. And that really is, I think, helps cement their family audience, their older audience, the more wholesome style of television and that's an audience they do not wish to alienate with something like Clerks the Animated Series. And at the same time, they had just done a test screening for Clerks with a demo that did not fit the Clerks movie at all. It was mostly, as they said in the commentary, women over 30. And I guess that they kind of came in and thinking they were test screening for another show and it ended up being the Clerks Animated Series. And women over 30 is not Kevin Smith's sweet spot. It's Teen, it's teenage to college age males, and naturally the poor screening, the, the the test screenings went poorly, and I think that also led ABC to getting cold feet about the show. I think the other big problem is that the demo that would watch this show is also not going to watch ABC and maybe not even watch television in general just because they're going to be – they have more of a social life or they're doing other things or they're watching other things, so – I think this would be this is this is going to be a hard sell because this is this has never been ABC's demographic and it's just bizarre to me that if you're going to have a test screening you're going to have a test screening specifically of 30 year old women like if you're going to have one person there that's 30 years old and is a woman like that's fine and that's certainly not to say that women are not fans of Kevin Smith but it's just bananas to me that that this did not work out although I will point out that it's really funny to me that. Harley Quinn Smith, uh, Kevin Smith's daughter, uh, had a really popular show on last year called Cruel Summer uh, that was on Freeform, which used to be ABC Family. So it is really funny to me just how things always come full full circle like that. And uh, 
yeah, Harley Quinn Smith was uh, on this show called Cruel Summer with multiple Kevin Smith references because the show t- takes place in the mid-90s. Oh, yes, of course. Uh, Kevin Smith also in Veronica Mars, one of the shows that we did as a, uh, as a clerk for when the near where the bus accident happened, if you remember. Kevin Smith, a clerk? <laughs> that, won't, that won't put butts in the seats. Uh, th- thanks, Tony. Thanks, that Tony. doesn't even work in this situation, but it had to be done. It's just amazing to me that who wants to be millionaire? I don't think I can properly put into context just how big of a deal that show was. Huge. Like that show was blocked by everybody yep. across the demographics. Like I was somebody who was in, in my house. It, so in my house, I have, I have I have a very nuclear family of mom, dad, my brother, and myself. All four of us watched it every single night together without fail. Yeah. And the first time that somebody won the million dollars, it was like an iconic <laughs> historical moment. Like I, yes. you, can't, you, you just don't get that anymore. And that was, and that ended up being a show that was on like, wasn't it every like, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then yeah, they, Friday, were basically, they basically burned it out because they literally had the show on like three or four nights a week and it basically killed it. And, and yeah. it's really unfortunate because this is a show again, that could have had, like you look at a show like Survivor. Survivor is on its forty-second season, and it's been running for twenty years. This is a show that they could have slotted in once a week on Sundays or something, and probably been around for twenty years. And granted, it would not have as big of an audience, but nobody does. It just so it's just weird to me that they they burned through it so quickly, and it ended up, and ABC kind of ended up were being in last place for a little bit again. So yeah, it's funny how that worked out. But yeah, it just completely changed. The trajectory and the thinking of the network. Well, what's really interesting to me is that in they that the Clerks animated series even had a Super Bowl um, spot, and it was it's not a good Super Bowl spot. It, that's also something I need you to watch. But it was very heavy on the emphasizing Dante and Randall as slackers. Like either that was a test term that they that they really liked, or a term that they really wanted to hammer home a buzzword of the week, if you will. Or like they heard that the movie Slacker is what inspired Kevin Smith to make Clerks and they decided to go with that. But yeah, that's that's something they just leaned on. But you'd think like, all right, well, if they're going to use the promotional power of the Super Bowl to to promote this show, that shows that they have something, uh, some faith in the show. And then it doesn't air for another three or four months after the ad airs. So it was kind of pointless. Yeah, I mean, it's just a weird thing to have. In terms of like you're building up the show, like you again, this is not something that I think you would really see. Like, if you're going to promote a show during the Super Bowl, then it's either going to air in the post Super Bowl spot or it's going to air like a week later. You're not going to get something that, oh, Clerks, Clerks, a cartoon is coming in three months. Yeah, you just, you don't, you get a lot more immediacy these days, I think. Um, especially if it's the network itself, like it's different when you're talking about, oh, Disney Plus body Super Bowl ad for Moon Knight that's coming out in six months. That's a little bit different because that that's that's a huge event and that's more like you're promoting a movie anyway. Yeah, and, and it's also just one of those instances now where like it's gonna that ad's gonna live on YouTube forever. It's not like did you see the Super Bowl or did you happen to go Get a, get a drink or take a smoke or use the bathroom when this commercial aired. Well, if you missed it, eh, then I guess you'll never see it again. Now you can just watch it before the Super Bowl even happens over and over again. Absolutely. So eventually it does air on May 31st, 2000. But they make six episodes, and you'd think they'd start with episode one, 
but instead they air episode four first. And we'll talk about that when we break down the episodes. And it was scheduled to air at 9.30 p.m., but it ended up airing at 9.50 p.m. in more places. More on that later, too. And then they showed episode two after episode four a week later. And then episodes one, three, five, and six never aired until Comedy Central aired all of them on December 14th, 2002. And then again on Adult Swim in 2008. But between the ABC ending and the Comedy Central picking up in December, the DVD box set comes out and it becomes this big hit. And one of the things I actually asked you that about was I didn't even know there was a VHS of the Clerks animated series, which is essentially just if you hit play all on the DVD, you basically get the six episodes with all the intros from Jay and Bob. So really all you're missing is like the commentary and then like, you know, the animatics of which kind of don't matter. But you are missing the commentary, which I feel is like a, a big piece of the puzzle. But so I didn't know if that's what you saw, or if, but it sounds like you were well into DVDs at that point. Yes, I was. By by the time we get into 2001, it's all about DVDs. And, uh, you know, at some point, Kevin, I think we're going to actually have to explain that how to use a DVD player and a VHS player and like explain what those are, because we are rapidly approaching a point when kids are just not. They're not I've asked parent my my you know parents of kids and stuff if they have discs or whatever they know what that is and most of them are, are they don't it's they all watch stuff on their iPods or iPads or whatever and uh, or they watch like my brother has got HBO Max again so he could have Sesame Street at the ready for his kids so and even like I think I bought her like three Disney movies for like her birthday one year and I bought them all as like Amazon downloads. I think there might come a day where they're like, "Why are you, you're putting a disc in? What the hell? What's a disc? Exactly. Yep. So just a couple other things about the network. They wanted – they felt nobody saw the movie, so they wanted them to make a real pilot that kind of explained what the show was about and felt it explained too much. Obviously, they were very conservative about what they could show and do, which is strange. Like, well, if you saw the source material, why would you pick up the show? But again, I think maybe attitude shifted a little bit uh, once – Millionaire took off and they really wanted to be more wholesome family forward. And we have those disclaimers at the beginning of every episode about imitators from celebrities and things like that. ABC, as I would imagine many big networks are, are very uh, afraid of lawsuits and uh, litigious folks. And I guess celebrities tend to be pretty litigious at times. So all of those that came at the beginning were their idea, but obviously uh, worded in such a way and and get playful with uh, an extra screen or two by – by Smith and Mosier, so all's well, I think, with with those. Yeah, I think that the the disclaimers are actually pretty funny, and it's kind of one of the highlights of the show. It's like whenever Futurama, like the open of Futurama, you would see like painstakingly drawn in front of a live audience or whatever. Yes. And yeah. yeah, it's and, and even like South Park has had the disclaimer forever for its content. It's almost it's like a staple of the show now. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you it, like that's when you know South Park is starting is when you see that disclaimer. Well, the good news is, is unlike the the live action pilot, all of our our favorites are here for this. You've got Dante Hicks with voiced by Brian O'Halloran, Randall Graves voiced by Jeff Anderson. I don't know how much we need to say about this. If you've seen the movie, there their characters there. You've got Dante Hicks as the more anxious of the clerks, and Randall as the more arrogant, stupid, sarcastic type. And the dynamic is just so great between the two of them. I don't really know what more to even say about about them. So the one thing I will say is that after watching uh, What If last year, I realized the value of casting somebody and them actually being a good voice actor and how it, it does take a lot of skill. 
And I will say, I think Jeff Anderson is actually really good. The performance is a little bit different than his live action version. Uh, Jeff Anderson playing Randall in the cartoon is actually really good. I think Brian O'Halloran is fine. I think he's, I think he's a little too low energy. I, I and I know that's part of his character, but for a cartoon, I think it, I think it would have worked out better if he was a little had a little bit more energy, but I think Jeff Anderson is actually really good on this show in terms of his voiceover work and some of the scenes and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, Jeff Anderson is very good. Uh, Kevin Smith is very bad whenever he does <laughs> the voice for silent Bob. So what you're saying is, is that Brian O'Halloran should have been a little more animated. Yes. Uh, yes, I did. I actually thought him in episode five was like his, his moment to shine. I think he did quite a good job in that episode. But in general, I, I tend to agree. Yeah, I mean, I think Brian O'Halloran fall, falls under the he's fine category. He's he's fine. Yeah, so you're not have, even supposed to be here today. <laughs> so, yeah, you have Jay and Silent Bob, Jason Mewes, Kevin Smith here as a no drug dealing in this show. They are mischief makers instead, using dynamite, getting monkeys to smoke, a whole bunch of other stuff. That's. That was, of course, a big network point was that you really couldn't go into drug dealing in, with this show. Um, and, yeah, I, I feel like they are as good as they can be without selling drugs. You don't really need it, I don't think. And I think it works out just fine. But, I mean, is what what makes Kevin what, – what makes Sam Bob so, so, that, so bad for you? I don't know. It's just the delivery just feels very off compared to – almost everyone else and and muse is not that great either i will say but yeah i just i it's jay and silent bob in this show don't don't do very much for me like they have a they give me a couple chuckles here and there there's Um, some good lines like last episode i feel like is really where jay shines yeah that's probably that's definitely the best one episode five is really good too that you feel it in your face silent bob wahoo nuge uh that's a favorite Oh, and um, we're we're now going to be selling fireworks for the stop again. Officially, it's all yes, good. Yes, officially is very good. And I will say this: I love the animation style of this show. They capture the essence of these four characters so well, and that style of drawing. And I think the line of toys they did based on that was great. And even expanding it into doing animated versions of like the Dogma cast or Chasing Amy or whoever as other toys too worked out so well. And I think. Uh, it's a shame we didn't get more of this style of animation. I, you know, there's been some comics and the toy line is this, I think the strongest thing, but I really enjoyed the animation style of the show. Yes. I think it's, it's unique. I think it captures the essence of the characters really well, like you said. And I think it would have, especially now with being in the digital age, I think it would have looked even better, but yeah, I think the fact that they, they did a deleted scene at the funeral, on the clerk's uh, DVD in the style. Uh, yeah, it's just, it worked out really well. And I, I'm kind of surprised that this show was never uncanceled or they didn't try this again on another network at some point, um, just because I think the animation style did live on. And again, the DVDs were really, really popular. And it's just surprising to me that Comedy Central or Adult Swim weren't like, yeah, we want, we want 13 episodes of this, or Adult Swim does, like, instead of, like, 20-minute episodes, they do, like, their 11-minute, like, half episodes. Like, yeah. it's just, it's really surprising to me that this didn't come back in any form. Well, I wonder if that's because I think the guy who did the animation went on to do Kim Possible, like an actual successful animated series. 
Whoops. <laughs> so that may have something to do with it, too. Ke- um, Kevin Smith collaborators are really successful. So it turns out, yeah, that's that's what I'm learning from. Well, you should, there's a some of that I had no idea about. Like Mosher doing Grinch, I had no clue. Yeah, then it, wasn't he off the podcast for like a year, year and a half or something because he was directing? Probably that makes sense. That podcast for me hit its heights in the post depression of Zach and Miri episodes. Those I think are the best they ever did. This is great podcasting, podcasting about another <laughs> podcast. Like what? Like what made those episodes so good? Because I never really listened to a lot of those. Oh man, so that's kind of famous. So. um I think it's like what first week in November of 2008 or maybe like it's Halloween when Zach and Mary comes out and the movie just bombs. So at this point, Mosier and Kevin Smith had a weekly podcast for at least since early 2007, maybe before that pretty consistently for a week. And then it just goes away for two or three months and it comes back and Kevin basically tells the story over the next couple episodes about like how depressed he was. It did so bad. He that's basically what got him so into marijuana is because he basically just went to like a, a weed based cocoon of depression when that, when that movie tanked so bad. Yeah. Those stories are, are very much worth hearing if those podcasts are still around. I mean, at this point they're so old, who knows where they live on the internet, but that for me is like the, the most interesting it, it, cause it's, it's more or less like him doing an evening with Kevin Smith about that time on a podcast. And then two years later, Kevin Smith would make Cop Out. So That he would. Uh, oh, boy, that's funny reading the – because uh, Boring Ass Life, I think, is him journaling about filming Cop Out and stuff and stuff leading up to it. And I'm doing this for my dad who loves Bruce Willis, blah, blah. And then later him being like, God, Bruce Willis was such a dick. He was so awful to work with. Uh, bad times. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Willis, what uh, what a career! And now he just makes like eight Serbian yep. movies a year, and that's that's what his life is. He just they probably f- films like all of them in a day, like uh, like Kelsey Grammer and Money Plane style. Oh man, Money Plane! What a movie! What a great! I mean, it's terrible, but Kelsey Grammer's so great. I'm and he made bank just doing nothing, just sitting in one location. I mean, it, stuff that Zoom. was probably that may have been his house. <laughs> it may have been. You're right. Uh, <laughs> and that seems to be where, uh, where, yeah, where Bruce Willis gets his money these days. And hey, if you can do that, good on you. But we've, we actually get some new characters in this show. You get the evil billionaire Leonardo Leonardo voiced by Alec Baldwin of all people. And this is something I think I kind of put together that I didn't realize because there's a lot of guest voices that I found to be very surprising in the show. But I think when you realize that Dave Mandel is the guy just coming off Seinfeld, it's maybe less surprising that people that would want to work on the show. Uh, but I think Alec Baldwin was an ABC get. Uh, my understanding is that they wanted Alan Rickman to do the voice, but he really wasn't interested in doing what Kevin Smith is like. Oh, this is my amalgam of um, Hans Gruber from Die Hard. And he's like, yeah, I don't really want to do that character. And then I work out of Alec Baldwin. And it's also funny for that because I just finished reading the oral history of 30 rock and how this was still the day and age where, movie actors didn't want to do TV. It was like a death sentence for your career and how Alec Baldwin was always seemingly one foot out the door on 30 rock for the longest time. And then he ended up loving it and being sad when it was over. But I think there's also the difference between, well, voice acting doesn't count or doing it overseas doesn't count. And so that's my guess is Alec Baldwin didn't really have a problem doing a a guest voice on an animated show because, well, that's not the same as being a a human being on a television show. So that's not the the career killer. I think many in Hollywood believed at that time it still was. 
and now actors will just liberally go back and forth between TV and movies, and they will just do commercials now. It doesn't matter. Yeah, and like I, I remember hearing Edie Falco in an interview being like, I like TV better than doing movies. And I think between uh, Nurse Jackie and The Sopranos, I can totally understand where she's coming from. Like, to be honest, the only person that hasn't done a streaming television show at this point is Tom Cruise. Like, that's it. Like, even Tom Hanks did a cameo in 1883. Like, that was a cameo, but, like, he was still on a prestige streaming TV show. So, unless you're Tom Cruise, you have done TV at this point. Right, yeah. I'm, it's a totally different story now. Like, we're we're still far away at this point in 2000 from the prestige era of television. Well, I guess not I mean, too far off because of Sopranos, I mean, but, like, that's still, you know, paywalled entertainment. I'm talking about being on cable in prime time. I mean, look at someone like Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen was the biggest movie star for a couple of years there. And now even he, a lot of what he does is like he does a lot of directing and he does a lot of streaming TV shows. There you go. That's the thing is I think you just get famous, then you can just do whatever the hell you feel like. I mean, that's the goal in life, I think. I think so. So what, do you th- what did you think of the character of Leonardo Leonardo? Uh, he really gets a lot to do in uh, the, the first episode, but then he's kind of in and out. I would probably have a stronger opinion of him in terms of like if there were more episodes, but I think he's very funny in the in the first episode and trying to buy the clerks off. And um, I think my favorite moment is when they say that the uh, the quick stop sales are up over a thousand percent because of that one nineteen cent sale. And uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's funny. Uh, Alec Baldwin, regardless of what you think of him in terms of uh, as a human being, uh, he is a very good. Uh, actor and he's a very good voice actor so i think he's yeah very good bring me this quicker stop sir it's a store bring it <laughs> good stuff very reminiscent of having the rolling stones killed uh for mr burns and i even kind of joke about that in the last episode like leonardo leonardo is basically there, mr burns and to that yeah. extent we we have his uh we have his smithers in mr plug definitely not a robot voiced by dan etheridge Definitely not a robot. Uh, Dan Effort has a very memorable voice because it's like, I swear to God, this has to be someone famous. And he's not really famous, I would say, but he's uh, he's very funny. Yeah, Mr. Plug doesn't get a lot to do, but the robot scenes and stuff with him are very good. And he's a good person to, to for Leonardo, Leonardo to play off of. Uh, that also reminds me of the scene when they're going through all the various uh, plans like when yes. you get to the monkey, the apes, and then it's so, so, so good. And then I have Charles Barkley up here as a, as one of the main cast because he's in exactly the same amount of episodes as Leonardo. Leonardo, So I'm going to count him as a main cast member, darn it. Okay, so tell me, what do you know about Charles Barkley? We're going to play this game. Okay, I know he was a very good basketball player. Did he play for the Suns? He did play for the Phoenix Suns. I would okay. say... He didn't play for the – he played for the 76ers longer, but I think in some ways because he played with the Phoenix Suns in the mid-90s, I feel like he is most associated with that team. When I was tapped into basketball even a little bit, like getting the sports cards, watching the Space Jam movie, he was on the Suns. Yeah, and Um, Barkley – yeah, Charles Barkley was indeed in that movie – um, uh, I know that, and I know this from looking it up because there's an NBA game that airs the same night as the Clerk Show debuted. But I believe the year 2000 or the the 2000 season, however that works, that was his last year as a player, was it not? 
Yeah, it was around that time, and then he very quickly transitioned to becoming an analyst on TNT, and that's still what he does right. to this day. And I think people probably can identify him as the co-host of Inside the NBA, maybe even more so than being a player at this point. Totally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the career is probably longer than that. Just a, a whole generation has passed. It's like when I was a kid, I had no idea Gorilla Monsoon was ever a wrestler, or even Bobby Heenan to, to that extent. So I'm sure... Younger people watching basketball or just knowing him from, you know, funny YouTube clips or things like I'll see that every so often of just an out of context thing of him like talking about. Was it him talking about the gas prices the other day that I saw going around as a yeah, mile Yeah, he definitely will talk about things that are unrelated to basketball. So, yeah, right. and uh, he's definitely someone that makes the rounds on TV shows because he is un- he's very unfiltered. So, yeah, they're going to yeah. – I'm going to feel bad saying this if he's unproblematic, but I feel like anytime I hear stories about like him running into someone else or like people meeting him, he always, he, it sounds like he's a really good dude. Uh, he definitely has some problematic elements, but it's something that you kind of have to dig into. And um, probably the most famous story of <laughs> – it's funny you say that he is a good dude uh, because he was he was once arrested uh, for throwing somebody out a plate glass window. Well, you know, we all have our days. <laughs> We're going to talk about Charles Barkley later in depth, but I just, want, I just thought it was amazing that he was on five episodes and so was Leonardo Leonardo, basically the lead villain of the series. And even before we get into the episodes, we got to talk about the DVD intros. So if you're watching the DVD or I guess even the VHS of this, every episode has a live action intro from Jay and Silent Bob. And they're hanging out at this. Each one of them star is them hanging out at this, as Jay calls it, their fat Hollywood palatial estate that they use their fat clerks checks to buy. And they're all very funny to varying degrees, especially the second one with Jay making up for the lack of cursing by just saying a whole bunch of swear words. And then the last one is the payoff where it turns out it's Jeff Anderson's house and he's basically paid Jay and Bob to help clean up the premises. And even funnier is they're calling him Randall and then Jay and Bob end up running away without finishing the job. These are still quite funny to me. I think it's a it's a cute thing to have had for the DVD. Yeah, I think you get a lot of these with the DVDs. You get the cute little intros and whatnot. And uh, it's it does have a very funny payoff in the end. But yeah. I mean, it's just it's Jason Mewes riffing, basically, and that that's pretty funny. All right, so finally, we could talk about these six episodes. Episode one, the pilot, or Leonardo Leonardo returns, and Dante has an important decision to make. The "Is it safe?" opening is one of I think the most famous parts of the show. Brian Posehn voice says this customer. It's a reference to Marathon Man, I understand, which is a movie I've never seen, but this scene is uh, very funny, especially when the customer runs away and then just sets uh, lights. Lights on fire from running away too fast. It's a it's a very funny start to the show, and it's very it's establishing a different tone uh, than the Clerks movie, but a very very enjoyable start. The whole thing in this about the Canadians being portrayed as like simpletons, cavemen, is something that I'm surprised they did in this one episode then drop so quickly. I felt like that was going to be maybe a running gag. Which is funny because apparently um, – so there are some Canadian markets. There's some of Kevin Smith's best places when he goes to podcasts. So it's funny that he just brutally makes fun of them uh, so often in this episode. I didn't have a lot of like future plans for the show because it's hard to tell from commentary which are like legitimate and which are, which are just like jokey. But there I think was a legitimate idea for Ben Affleck to be like the king of the Canadians at some point, which is also why I was surprised it wasn't a returning gag. Because that would have been pretty awesome if that was a character he ended up playing. Yeah, that would have been uh, that would have been very good. So the whole plot of this is Leonardo Leonardo returns 
again, just this giant billionaire evil guy opens the quicker stop directly across the street. And it's this giant store that has this ride through the store. That's a parody of the haunted mansion ride. One of my favorite jokes in the whole store is the customer keeping, uh, running out, coming back to pay, running out, getting his change, running back in one of my favorites, but the screen makes it. Just the random noises that emanate from that, from the customer's mouth is some of the best stuff in the entire episode. And again, I think that's a testament to just how good uh, voiceover work is. And when you get the right people, like it just makes the show. Uh, I love the idea of pay as you exit as if that's not something you do at a store anyways, (laughs) especially in light of what Amazon is doing now. It's really funny. Yes. Oh man. I will say like, you could say what you want about SNL now, but that skit that they did last, uh, well, months ago at this point, listening to this, but with the um, the just take your stuff and leave store was pretty darn good. I have to say the I, the fact that I was laughing that something was happening on SNL was surprising to me. Yeah, I think a lot of people would say that. Are we oh, sure ahead. that SNL should just not do pre-taped bits and the show would be funnier? That's dude. That's been the joke forever. Is the pre-taped stuff is way better than the live stuff? Like, what is the point of the live element at this point? I don't know. Uh, like, anyway. like the, the commercials are the best part. Now the um, oh, what what's that new comedy troupe called? That like their thing's always the best part every week. It's like if you just do those in Weekend Update, you got yourself a show. You don't need anything else. Yeah, I would agree. Leonardo tries to hire Dante and Randall, giving them college and other benefits, which excites Dante. And then Randall ruins it for the both of them. Upset that Leonardo Leonardo took a call during their meeting. Even thinks that maybe he's hitting on them, and they get kicked out. So when Randall and Dante try to take him down, they fail, and uh, Jay, who's been selling dynamite, ends up blowing up the quicker stop and taking care of that problem. Why he doesn't just rebuild, I don't know. Best part of this whole thing, I think, is the maze of death that Randall makes them take. Yes, that's uh, and uh, the I think the best joke is the one that we've referenced uh, with Jay officially deciding to sell back in front of the store officially. Yeah, why why are we walking like this is a great joke too, but it's funnier because of its use in episode two. <laughs> yes, that that's one that's funny in the, here, but the fact that they bring it back so many times. Um, what's what's the joke about the more times you do it, like it's it it stops being funny at a certain point and then it becomes funny again. And my understanding is that is a Dave Mandel thing about like first time it's funny, second time it's hilarious third time it's like not as funny but then by, by the joke at sixth or seventh time it's funny again so i think you see a lot of that dave mandel stuff throughout the show and sometimes it works and sometimes it does not yeah definitely uh so then talking about episode two they uh very boldly and very funnily do a clip show that is only one episode old but again episode two was the actual episode two on abc so you're either thinking well, this is weird. We why are they showing flashbacks to an episode that didn't air? Or you're thinking it's comedic genius that they are showing flashbacks to a show that never aired. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I had seen this. I feel like I saw one episode on ABC, maybe, but I don't know. I just I can't remember if this was the one that I saw first. This episode? Yeah, I think I might have seen this one on ABC. That's weird. Like, I, I can't quite remember, like, because everything, you know, y- you know, my brain doesn't work as well. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just in terms Time of passes, you've slept since then. It is. What yes. It is. So, yeah. But well, I so the, feel like I may have seen this. 
so the whole premise is the store gets robbed. They have to make new locks. This ends up getting them locked in the freezer into past time before they can get saved. They reminisce and have flashbacks. Then uh, they end up getting saved when Silent Bob has a crowbar and lets them out. But then they get stuck in the video store and the AC breaks and that becomes a freezer itself. All the flashbacks are either from episode one or movie references or some totally made up moments. I really like when they talk about how it's hot cold in there and then Jay makes the joke and they have to go. We already made that Star Wars reference, which I have 100 percent said in real life. Yep. Same here. <laughs> uh, it was snowing really bad earlier this year and I sent an Empire Strikes Back <laughs> gift to someone. <laughs> and I hope they responded with that. Yep. Why are we walking like this is referenced four times. Uh, I think it coming at the end of the episode is really funny, but the fact that it is remembered by Silent Bob, who wasn't there, is probably the best uh, part of that. Well, it's kind of a meta joke because it's Kevin Smith as Silent Bob, so it right. works on so many levels. Uh, you get to mention the Caitlin Bree again, so she, uh, that's, of course, a movie reference from the Clerks movie. Her with the painters. Randall apparently had an Asian mail-order husband. Uh, Randall and Nante married each other by accident. Weird stuff. Uh, but yeah, this uh, some of this. <laughs> this is the episode with probably the stuff that has aged the worst, both because of the uh, the mail order bride, or in this case, husband, and uh, the the jokes about gay marriage. This is not something that would be acceptable in 2022 for sure. But Jay having to spell out, even though they don't need it, that it was an all painter three way was very good. Yeah, that was uh, – and uh, the cutaways to to Caitlin making out with the painter were very good. So uh, Dante mentions that they're uh, unlucky at love and, but lucky at cards. Uh, Jerome, didn't you do pretty well at poker the other week? I did, yeah. I came fifth out of a fifth out of 100 in uh, in a poker tournament. So yeah, I did, uh, I did pretty well. And then uh, how about that Tusk movie showing with that? That lady friend. We will never, we will never speak <laughs> of that again. I mean, what a movie! What a movie! <laughs> so the one joke, the the whole, the DVD itself is called Clerks the Animated Series Uncensored, and the reason they can call it that is because the Flintstones list joke was cut out of the ABC broadcast, and I completely understand that decision. I mean, they could have gone even farther. I'm not. I'm just not going to say how, but. Yeah, they 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 won places with the uh, with Flintstones list in terms of yeah I mm, yeah this look, is a tough one. Look, it's funny. I thought it was funny, but it is dark as hell. Yes, and especially in an atmosphere where you're always concerned about anti-Semitism and things of that nature, I think you have to be really sensitive about – whenever you make jokes about minorities, I think you have to be really sensitive to that. And I feel the same way about the – because even the Asian male order husband thing could also uh, be construed in a similar way like because that is yeah. a stereotype. So, Well, that's I what's think, so interesting to me. It's like they didn't have a problem – they had a problem with Flintstones list but not that. Well, I mean, it's it's. I mean, there was yellow face in How I Met Your Mother. So true, very true. I think that it's it has been more acceptable to make fun of Asian people, um, even more so than other minority groups at this point. And it's only now that you're really starting to see it just not be acceptable. But I mean, you could watch any sitcom from this era, and I'm sure you would get either yellow face or you would get an Asian accent being done by a white person. I mean, my God, even licorice pizza had, had a scene where a white person was mocking an Asian accent. So this is something that's still very relevant today. And again, we're derailing the podcast. Uh, Talk about Gwyneth Paltrow playing herself. Wild. That to me is like the most wild of all the voice acting in this show. But again, I think that's either 
an ABC connection or her wanting to work with Dave Mandel. Either way, her just voicing herself there. And I'm sure that was easy work too, coming in for what, a maximum of 30 minutes to a voice studio, getting your paycheck and getting out. But yeah, mind blowing that she plays herself. And Gilbert Godfrey, I think his Jerry Seinfeld is absolutely hilarious. And I think that's one of his more famous uh, celebrity impressions he does. It actually sounds like Seinfeld. It doesn't oh, sound Gary like Seinfeld. <laughs> and it doesn't sound like Gilbert Godfrey. That's the difference. Not at all. And then I'll talk about what he does later. But yeah, his Jerry Seinfeld, it, it, it doesn't sound like Jerry Seinfeld, but it sounds like someone doing an imitation of Jerry Seinfeld, which is almost better. Yes. I mean, because everybody does a Jerry Seinfeld because everybody can do that. Oh, what's the deal? They like Peter. You know, you can just <laughs> yes. go there and yeah. And then, I mean, come on. You're a cigarette is, I think probably the best takeaway line from this episode. Yes, the implications behind it are bad, but it still I, makes me laugh. It's shocking to me that they were able to say that epithet on ABC in the year 2000. Well, they're just talking about a cigarette. I mean, in some cases they were talking about a cigarette, <laughs> but in some cases they were not talking about a cigarette. That's very true. But maybe, maybe the most memorable line, I'm Dante and I'm the biggest idiot ever. I mean, the truth hurts. But just him like throwing around the cat and him wearing the diaper and the and the birthday party hat, it, it the whole thing is just makes it so great. Oh my goodness, it's so good. Then you get a, a fun Stand by Me parody ending with Old Jay narrating, and it sounds nothing like Current Jay. And then uh, you get you get Skeeter at the end. <laughs> you said it. Is it that Richard Dreyfus? Doesn't Richard Dreyfus's brother do impressions of his brother? I feel like I've read that somewhere, and I don't think it was that in this case, but I will point out that it is true that Dante did get married, and it is true that Randall owns the video store, according to canon. That's true. But what does Richard Dreyfus have to do with any of that? Because Richard Dreyfus was uh, the actor – he was the narrator of Stand By Me. Oh, OK. But that wasn't him in this show. No, but I know I, I don't even think his brother did the voice in this case, but I know there have been times when they can't get Richard Dreyfus to get his brother. So sort of like someone else will talk about later when you can't get Michael Buffer, you get Bruce Buffer. It is wild to me that both Bruce and Michael Buffer went on to become very famous ring announcers. Right. That's so that's so weird. All right. So episode three, Leonardo is caught in the grip of an outbreak of Randall's imagination and Patrick Swayze either does or doesn't work in the new pet store. That's one of my favorite bits of the whole show. How do you feel about this fan mail segment where they ignore questions about no females on the show, but are uh, quick to get a black character on the show? I'll be honest. This feels this feels like this episode in general is just really mean spirited and it's easily my least favorite of the of the six. Just because it feels like they're really punching down on the Lando character. It feels like they're punching down on Patrick Swayze, who has since passed on. It just feels like there's a lot of punching down in this episode. You don't get that in the, in a lot of the other ones. So, yeah, there are still some funny moments. Don't get me wrong. But it really feels like th- this is just a really mean episode. I, I get what you're saying about Patrick Swayze, but there's something about Gilbert Gottfried just basically using his own voice and not even doing a Patrick Swayze imitation after he did a Jerry yes. Seinfeld impression that I find very funny. Gilbert Gottfried's performance is funny, yes. <laughs> like the, the Dustin Hoffman image joke apparently was based on reality. I mean, could the virus kill the Grimace? Nothing can kill the Grimace is an all-timer from the show, I think. The kid in the helmet thing, was that also referenced in another Kevin Smith thing before this? There was the kid on the escalator, but I can't remember if kid in the helmet was a clerk's animated creation or not. 
it feels like it was. I don't remember. I mean, it did have a similar vibe as uh, that kid is back on the escalator, though. Um, yes. It definitely had that same that same rhythm and that same feel to it. So this is the uh, the whole outbreak parody where LL eats burritos that Don or that Randall left out in the sun all day, and he thinks that his sickness is actually a monkey biting him, but it's actually just him. So wait a minute, what him. you're saying is is that a virus was mince- was from one source, but it was turned into a conspiracy theory and made to be from another source. That would never happen, Kevin. Never. It would never happen, especially not in in this day and age. Nope. Uh, you know what's funny is the is the ending where Dante admits he's gay and get, and that's how the fighter jets stop the virus spread. This is another thing where like if it, if he was actually gay, like that would actually feel like kind of a good ending. But because it's Randall being so mean to him and like being gay is a horrible thing to be ashamed of to admit it, it the, the tone is way off here. Yeah. So, so I think you're right when you have that plus Lando and to a lesser extent, Patrick Swayze, just not, not a great episode in that respect. But with a couple great jokes sprinkled in. So, uh, so I guess you could say this episode, um, broke bad a little bit, if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean because we have another litany of guest voices here, including Brian Cranston as the fighter jet pilot. What I love is listening to the commentary. He's like, oh, I think he's on that show, uh, Malcolm in the Middle here. And that is like now a footnote in Brian Cranston's overall career. Which is funny because that, that show was a huge deal at the time. And not yes. just because the clip of Bret Hart and Chris Benoit wrestling was a part of it. But that show was a really big deal. And it's funny to think that more people by volume probably have seen an episode of Malcolm in the Middle more than Breaking Bad, but Breaking Bad is, of course, like, that is his, like, that's the thing that's going to be the first sentence in his, in his obituary. Like, right. that, he is Walter White at this point. Well, I'm pretty sure, because I, I watched Malcolm Middle, and the reason I did was because I'm pretty sure it aired Sunday nights directly after The Simpsons. Yeah, for sure. And uh, speaking of canceled, we have James Woods and Al Franken. <laughs> that we do, yeah. James Woods as Major Baklava and Al Franken as the mayor. Don't know how they got Woods. Franken, I think, was probably just a friend of Dave Mandel's or somebody they got on there. Uh, but you do get uh, – I think I think she pronounced it Tara. Tara Strong is one of the giggling girls. She is a voice actress powerhouse. Um, I believe she does Harley Quinn. She's done Batgirl. She was uh, Bubbles on the Powerpuff Girls. She's a tour de force in uh, voice acting, and she will have voice acting gigs for the rest of her life and make significant bank on the convention scene. So uh, good for Tara Strong. Absolutely. And look, James Woods is canceled. I don't like him personally. He is very funny in his role. Sure. I mean, I think it's, you know, I I think it's worth saying that if we say something good about someone who's been canceled, that doesn't mean that we don't think they're a bad person or that they they've never done anything wrong. Like, come on. Yeah. We talk about Charles Barkley. These three episodes all have post show moments with Charles Barkley. Uh, which were influenced by the Super Friends show. You've got safety tips on episode one where Jay and Saw Bob tell Charles Barkley to go away. Episode two, it's Rainy Day Fun with Jay and Saw Bob where they remind Charles Barkley, I thought we told you to get out of here. And he walks away all sad. And then the third one, the Science Says segment, Charles Barkley begins this segment and then they basically copy beat for beat the Godfather scene, including the missed punch. I always appreciate that in a in a recreation if, if you're going to be as faithful as you are with the missed punch there. These are some of the highlights of these three episodes as Charles Barkley uh, featured in the end of the show segments. So I do agree that they are very funny, 
but having Charles Barkley get beaten up by two white guys in an episode where they talk about having a new black character and some of the problematic elements, definitely, uh, definitely some poor timing there. Yeah, I guess I just, I never, I didn't it's put still that funny. together. Like, objectively, like, I still think it's funny, sure. but just bad timing. I, I guess it is interesting because I just, I separate that from like the episode itself. It's because it's like a tag at the end more than anything. And I think because it is a recreation of The Godfather specifically. And the fact that, like, it's obviously insane that Jay and Bob would even stand a chance against Charles Barkley is very funny to me. His whole portrayal was very funny. I mean, if it was, like, Space Jam, <laughs> then maybe they would have a chance. Yes. Uh, so episode four, a dissertation on the American justice system by people who have never been inside a courtroom, let alone know anything about the law, but I've seen way too many legal thrillers, was actually the first episode that aired. I guess the network felt it was one of the strongest and most indicative of what the show would be about. And I guess Kevin Smith was a regular caller into Howard Stern around this time, and so he was there plugging the show. But from Spostos' perspective, he remembers that Stern kind of turned on Kevin Smith after the episode aired or or something happened where Kevin then kind of switched over to being an Opie and Anthony caller. But Kevin is still very – speaks very highly of Howard Stern on the commentary here, so either he wasn't aware of the impact it had or made amends or I'm not exactly sure, but – uh, you know, Howard Stern's a big deal. So I think even being on that show and mentioning it probably helped some viewership uptick at least a little bit. Yeah, I would say so. The RST being changed to a nightclub and the Dan and Disco Granny saying dom dom is also something I very much enjoy repeating. So what happens here is that Jay sues Dante in the quick stop after tripping on a soda spilled by Randall. Do do Randall egging on Jay and a lawyer who just so happens to come into the quick stop and he eventually takes their case. You get Judge Reinhold playing a judge here and a jury made up of a bunch of, of NBA players, including Reggie Miller, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Alan Iverson, Grant Hill, and some others that remain unnamed. And I'm not well versed enough in NBA to just ID them by their looks. Who am I missing anybody? Or are they all kind of generic? One of them definitely looked like Kobe Bryant, which, uh, yeah, ooh, yikes. Yeah. Uh, but mm -hmm. I do think it's funny that Reggie Miller, Charles Barkley and Grant Hill do their own voices. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but that's very funny. Uh, and then the NBA all-star game getting replaced by WNBA players. I don't doubt that the fans wouldn't boo, but, uh, and them crying is, uh, that, it's a little bad. It's very mean-spirited. And what makes this all the weirder is ABC and ESPN broadcast WNBA games. So it's just weird to me that they would have this joke in there and that Kenny Main and Dan Patrick would also do voice cameos making fun of the WNBA. It's just – it's really strange all around. On the positive end, yes. Judge Reinhold will never not be funny. You know, it's sort of an interesting sort of tie-in is the guy who wrote that really awful Clerks pilot ended up writing on a couple episodes of Arrested Development in the season where Judge Reinhold was a judge. I'm wondering if this is like his weird revenge for like, well, my Clerks live action show didn't work out, so I'm going to steal Judge Reinhold as a judge. I know it's an obvious joke. But still, it's it's so weird that that's that just so happened to be what went down. Yeah, I think this version is funnier just because you do get the Beverly Hills Cop parody as part of it. Oh god, that's one. That's like my favorite part at the end. But we'll talk. Oh my about god, that it's so good. Uh, I also do think to me the racial humor here works a little bit better. Like when Randall's going through the hey ho and like these these really 
strange, just like stereotypes that get the jury mad at him. That to me lands a little better than what they did in episode three. What is up with Randall and the random racism? Because there's this and there's also uh, the phrase that they want to bring back in Clerks too. It's just – it's really weird. We got to talk about Randall putting all these different directors on trial. Oh my god. <laughs> George Lucas is the one who gets an actual voice acting to it. But then he also gets money back from uh, – he basically blasts Star Wars Episode One and gets his money back for his ticket. And this is the same to Steven Spielberg, Joel Schumacher, Spike Lee, and Quentin Tarantino. And as many have pointed out, it would have been very funny if Kevin Smith was the last director among those. But that's for sure a highlight of the episode. Yeah, I think this is a joke that I really found funny in 2000, probably not as funny now, just because I think we are allowed to have nuance and see different things and whatnot. But yeah, the George Lucas one is pretty funny. Here's my question for you, Jerome. Why the hell is he called Silent Bob anyway? (laughs) I don't know why that's funny, but no matter how many times I hear it, it will never not be funny. Because the answer is clear. Then you get but, the, he's, but he's not silent sometimes. There are times he talks. Sometimes. But I think in, in the entirety of the show, does he only talk in the in the stingers at the end of the episodes with Charles Barkley? I think so, yeah. So the Beverly Hills Cop ending with the Eddie Murphy laugh is the best laugh of all time done by Phil uh, Lamar. The fact that Phil Lamar nails Eddie Murphy's laugh might be the most impressive thing I've seen on the show. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Uh, I remember first seeing that with a friend. We rewound that over and over and over again because the laugh was so good. Because it's so specific and the only person that laughs like that is Eddie Murphy. And Phil Lamar being able to just do it. Phil Lamar is a really good voiceover actor. So I can't say I'm totally surprised. But man, it just – it literally sounds exactly like Eddie Murphy. The laugh and even the way he talks too. Yeah, it's perfect. Patrick Ewing actually makes a jump shot. The Knicks win an important game. The delivery makes it funny to me, but as to someone who actually watches basketball, is that funnier because it's it true? Is, it is perfect. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> hey, they gave us money for – they gave us $5 for breakfast. I hope this trial never ends. <laughs> the excitement over that and the Franks and Beans, great stuff. Yes. Then you get the classic Korean animator courtroom verdict and – it feels like in a day before like memes and gifts and stuff like who is driving? Oh, my God. Bear is driving. How can this be like stands above? This is like an early Internet moment that Bear's still persists dri- Bear, to this day. Bears driving is still a quote that I use to this day. Yeah, it's 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 one of the timeless moments from the show. Maybe the most Internet famous like um, Sposto was saying that his kid who's he's 10 and he's been, and he watches like a lot of 10-year-olds do a lot of YouTubers and things like that. And he's heard YouTubers use that joke. And he's like, okay, so his son doesn't know it from the source material, but he's heard it through that. And I think he showed it to his son and his son didn't care. But uh, the fact that it's permeated to like YouTubers and stuff still, who maybe they don't even know what it's from, uh, speaks to its, its longevity. I think the thing that I've realized um, ever since I started teaching high school is anime is a really huge deal. And that's how I was thinking about us as watching this. It's like how far we've come. Like this show is basically making fun of anime and anime has in a lot of ways taken over the culture and has just permeated different parts of it. And every streamer has their own anime or is streaming another network or something like that. So it's, it's pretty incredible. And then we have the fast times of Ridgemont high parody to end the episode. 
uh, with uh, Judge Reinhold working at the at the store. So good, so so good. And I mentioned all the guest voices except Brian Cranston is back again as the a doctor who dares them to do surgery at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> yes. Episode five, long title, but it straight up tells you that they're parodying Bad News Bears, The Last Starfighter, and Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. This actually, they said, even though it didn't air as one of the least hated episodes by the network, as they felt it actually had a good personal growth story for Dante, which I think is uh, partially questionable. I think it's – like I said, I think it's Dante's best showing. Um, but the fact that he still has his little league team play against a bunch of malnourished kids is like, growth? Really? I don't know. Yeah, this is another th- – this this definitely has some mean-spirited things going on as well. Well, and I, I'm glad you said that because there's something about the, – the they go to their 10-year high school reunion and Randall discovers that all his exes are now gay and he believes it's because no other man would do. So that joke in and of itself, kind of dicey, but there is some humor to that. But I think the fact that they make all the women butch the second that he's done dating them is where the real problems lie. Yes, absolutely, and I I – it seemed like many of the voices were male. Now that might not be true in all cases, but in most cases, that's how that's how it sounded. Well, for sure, Kevin Smith does one of the the Asian women at the end when they when when Randall turns them down, they become butch wit lesbians. Uh, that's definitely him. So, yeah, bad times. Uh, but Randall also gets reacclimated with this arcade game he excelled at called Pharaoh, and he ends up getting kidnapped by a federal agency to build actual real-life pyramids. Why they thought that skill would transfer, I don't know, and it goes about as well as you think it would. The best Hall Monitor yearbook photo. Holy shit. <laughs> yes. Uh, that that's that might be the best thing in the, the episode. It's really great. Go look it up. It's hard to explain. <laughs> and Dante's story is that he was the manager for the baseball team in high school, gets real sad when he realizes that nobody remembers him. And so Leonardo Leonardo hires him to be the coach of a little league team that he's going to run uh, to live out all his manager fantasies. And when he realizes that Jay, despite being 26 years old, is still uh, in the fourth grade, he gets put on the team and, of course, smokes all the other age appropriate children. Yeah, I mean, it works out really well for him. <laughs> I do love the journey of Randall's message in a bottle for help that an event that <laughs> it finally gets to, to Dante. And then he just goes, then throw it out. <laughs> yeah, it's just th- this episode, this podcast episode, more than any other has just been pointing out jokes and talking about how funny they are. But it's like uh, I, I would have never called that to be the journey of where the bottle leads. Like it gets lost along the way or something would have been better. Just, oh, there's a note in this bottle. Then throw it out. It's almost like Dave Mandel is a good comedy writer. Totally. I guess the, the, they call it the Little League World Series because whatever the actual Little League championship game is, is copywritten and they can't call it that. Which is funny because it does it. It takes place in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, and which is not that far. I mean, it's I think it's a few hour drive from New Jersey. So the Little League World Series literally is played in Pennsylvania. <laughs> I think I knew that because I feel like I've passed that stadium before on your way to various uh, small cities in Pennsylvania on your way to various Chicago shows. Yeah, that's basically correct. I think I passed it going to Easton for King of Trios a few times. Interesting. So it just so happens where this little league world series is, is the same area where Randall is kidnapped. So they get to save him, save uh, a bunch of kids that were enslaved as well. That were happened to also be the little league team. You get a, why are we walking like this reprise, which is appreciated. And, uh, 
like I said, Dante has them defeat the team of malnourished children to win the Little League World Series. I'm not going to tell you that's not funny. But to say that Dante had this personal growth story, I think, is maybe a little a bridge too far. Yeah, I would uh, I would I would say so. I, I think that this this along with uh, episode three, definitely not definitely not my favorites. Uh, there's still some very funny gags, and I know we're about to get to one in just a second here. But Dante getting drunk with Le- with Leonardo Leonardo was very funny, and some of the exchanges exchanges they had, and uh, nobody on the baseball team remembering Dante. It's uh, th- that stuff is pretty good. Were you supposed to think that they slept together when they woke up the next day? When Leonardo I looks don't up in know, but it's it's definitely possible. But what is funny is the ghost – you have the ghost of Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Yoda like you do at the end of The Return of the Jedi. And then Charles Barkley as a ghost comes up? I mean Charles Barkley's alive and he's not a Jedi, so this is really strange. High five. <laughs> that's cold, Obi-Wan. Maybe that's why they didn't give him a high five. He's not a Jedi. I mean, there might be another reason, too, but for guest voices, Brian Cranston back again as the federal agent who kidnapped Randall. Then you have Michael McKean as Professor Ram and the creepy guy in town. Uh, Professor Ram was the one who like, gave him his assignment and presents him with Asian women. And the creepy guy in town tells him about the kids getting kidnapped. But Michael McKean and Brian Cranston. So we're really in the uh, the Breaking Bad Better Call Saul universe with this episode. I guess you could say it's all good, man. Yes, you could. And then episode six, the last episode ever, which was named tongue in cheek, but then turned out to be a reality, is uh, a Comic-Con panel. Fans calling Dante and Randall sellouts. The show's nothing like the movie, thinks they're both gay, and they promise to make the show more like the movie. And I guess this was basically made as a like a pre-retaliation to what they expected the fan backlash to be, which sounds like a very Kevin Smith thing to do. Yes, this is this is definitively my favorite episode, and this, the Comic Con panel is perfect. It nails exactly like what the issues would be and how fans would react, and just how mean fandom can be, which is totally relevant in 2022, and is absolutely hilarious. And the fact that they go into doing the uh, the title cards, saying that Frazier ripped them off, it's it's really good. So this is not my favorite episode. And one of the things that I I think I disliked more, I realized I didn't like it as much now as the Matrix stuff. That feels like the Dave Mandel joke where like it goes too long and it and like the payoff. See, I, I see. I kind of got annoyed with it. But like Dave Mandel says, I liked it by the end. <laughs> I did. My I think my favorite part is when they, he pretended to be Caitlin again. Hello, John Dick. <laughs> And he kept the he kept the bit going for so long. <laughs> it's so good. This whole thing is there's this fair across the street, and you never get to see it there in the store the whole time. There's escalating moments. They keep the, they're asked to keep the store open all night. Caitlin apparently opens a kissing booth there, uh, but you do get some fun customers that come in. First, you get a couple of junkies who are putting together the fair rides, and they have a, a fun brand name association conversation. No spina jello here, my friend. I love the fact that the entire episode takes place in the store and there is clearly so much going on outside the store. This is like – you don't see animated shows do a lot of bottle episodes, but this basically is a bottle episode. Oh, totally. And then you get Steve, Dave, and Walt appearing. Now, they had been background characters in a couple episodes, but this you actually get speaking roles from uh, both of them here. Uh, and I think they said something – they, there was going to be – you know, they talk about playing Naked Robber and they say it's Gene, one of Gene Roddenberry's favorite party games. 
I forget who it was, but there was someone else they were going to say first, but because they were still alive, they made them change it to Steve Roddenberry because, again, worried about lawsuits. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a joke that could definitely go south for sure. Uh, they play a Brazilian soccer team inside the store instead of on the roof. So I thought that was like a fun twist on like the movie where they play the hockey game on the roof. And here they they tease it like, oh, I know a perfect place where you can play soccer. And then they pan up to the roof, but instead they play inside the store. Yeah, that's uh, that's very it's it's very funny stuff. Like I said, this is definitely my favorite of the six because I found myself laughing more at this one. And even when they get to the end with the uh, the they did this uh, to, it, it, Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck, there was there were two individual like Looney Tunes episodes where Bugs and Daffy are getting screwed over by the animators, and it happens to uh, to Jay and Rand, or to Dante and Randall here, and it's uh, it's really funny. The Steven Tyler joke is maybe one of my favorite jokes of all time. That feels like one that Dave Mandel had in the chamber and it could have gone in any of his projects. And it just so happened to be that it worked out in Clark's. So, yeah, like you said, the animators end up screwing with Dante around to the end where you learn Jay is drawing. You get a peek in the writer's room, a part of this, and they have a big book that says how to write cartoons by Seth MacFarlane. And uh, they call it the on the commentary. They call Family Guy Emmy nominated shit. Uh, they picked the wrong year to call it Emmy-nominated shit, I would say. They so, just wait a little longer. Making fun of Seth MacFarlane. Um, hasn't aged well because Seth MacFarlane has undoubtedly had a lot more success than Kevin Smith financially. And the fact that he got to basically create his own version of Star Trek. I mean, he basically got to do a lot of what Kevin Smith probably would have wanted to do. So it's just – it's really fascinating. And Seth MacFarlane's a really easy guy to make fun of. But, I mean, the guy's also really talented. I mean, if you don't think he's a talented creative, just the voice acting stuff that he does. And, yeah, I mean, I think Seth MacFarlane is a very mixed bag. But, boy, oh, boy, has he had a lot of success. Well, and, yeah, it, it very much comes off as them being very bitter. That family guy was still on the air and Clarks was not. Yeah, I mean that's and which is funny because then Family Guy would shortly thereafter get canceled and brought back, and I mean it's like I said they're on their like their seventeenth or eighteenth season at this point, which is just crazy to me that Family Guy's still on the air. Yeah, and we get a tease during the credits that they're gonna want to do a Clerks animated movie, and like Kevin makes it sound like he wants it to be like his best animated film, like Oscar film that he's gonna make. Uh, I'm highly dubious that that movie is ever going to get made uh, at this point. I feel like it always gets like kind of sort of brought up as a reboot or whatever. But at this point, we've had Clerks 2. We've had another animated movie and we're having Clerks 3 come out. I just don't think you're I, I think we're done with Clerks animated. By the yeah, I, I don't I don't foresee it happening at this point. And I mean, why would it? I don't think that Kevin Smith in terms of in terms of movies and, and that kind of thing, I don't know that he's necessarily popular enough. And I know he doesn't he doesn't seem like he the best collaborator at times either. So I, I don't know that I necessarily foresee him working with a lot of people. Um, you mean in, in terms of being like difficult to work with? I don't know. It just seems like he's very much into doing his own thing. Sure. And unless it's like specific cases of like, I know he's directed episodes of the flash and Supergirl, but I mean, that's different because he's just coming in to direct right. and I'm sure he has relationships with the creators and whatnot, but it, it doesn't seem to me like Kevin Smith is the type that's going to collaborate a lot on like directing a TV show or something. Like I know there was some discussion about Mallrats having a limited run as a TV series, but that ultimately didn't pan out. 
And I know that Kevin's and everybody has a lot of product projects that just don't pan out. But yeah, I, I'm very curious to know what Kevin Smith is like as a collaborator, just because it seems like it's it seems like he's very much into doing his own thing and not really wanting to work, play well with others. Well, I, I think that's why he probably directs his own stuff too. It's like I'm going to write this, direct this, and I can I can say what I want and do what. And uh, I think it's. Uh, I mean, I think he would if if he had been a writer. And not a director, I think his career would have been very different. You know, we're talking about movies and stuff that never see a light of day. Remember all those Mallrats two signing things he'd have with the him and the actor holding up the two fingers? Where's that? Yeah, I mean, there was supposed to be a Mallrats. Wasn't it supposed to be like Shop Harder or something like that? Probably. Was did it turn into a comic? I don't know, but it's like. I mean, he got pretty much everybody. I mean, even like your Michael Rookers and your Ben Affleck's, like the the tough people to get, he got. And then I was like, great, this, right? Let's do it. And then nothing. Yeah, just it's it's uh, it's really strange. Yeah, so yeah, so that's why I take a lot of his. We're doing this. We're doing that with a with a very big grain of salt, uh, just based on reputation. And as you should. I mean, how many comics has he stopped and start started and stopped too? Right. Uh, many or limited series for that man. Only. Yep. Uh, you did not see the groovy cartoon movie, right? No, because I heard it was terrible. I think you told me it was terrible, and I decided not to watch it for that yep. reason. So it came. So they, Jay and Bob, came through DC, and they did like it was like groovy cartoon movie tour where you watch the movie. Then they did uh, a podcast recording after I think of their Get Old podcast, and then a Q and A. And I was like, all right, well, even if this movie sucks, like the pot, the live podcast and the Q and A will be fun. And that movie is trash. It's horrible. It basically looks like flash animation and it's just super not funny, but the podcast was great. The Q and A was great. So the parts I expect to be good were, and then the movie was just horrible. Do not watch it. More guest voices in this one. Brian Posehn returns as one of the fans in the Q and A. Kevin McDonald from kids in the hall is there in the Q and A and Kevin McDonald and Mark McKinney from kids in the hall are the pinheads who say, one of us, one of us, which is also a, a big highlight of this episode. Really good joke. Really, really appreciated that. And uh, Julia Sweeney is there as the the scared mother who comes in the store when the gorillas break loose. Uh, that probably best known from Pat from SNL and the subsequent movie. I would I would say that's, yeah, that's what he's best known for. All right. So that's that wraps up all our episodes. Anything, any jokes or whatever I missed before we get into our superlatives? No, I think that we pretty much nailed we pretty much nailed a lot of what we enjoyed about the show and some of the things that maybe haven't maybe haven't aged so well. But I mean, this is probably as comprehensive as it gets. Like I said, this this podcast episode is going to end up being longer than the series series was. So this is kind of a weird question asking favorite character because we have four from the movie and a couple that weren't, but they don't really have any special billing. So I don't know. Did anyone stand out to you? Uh, like I said, I think Randall is is my favorite character because I, I really do think Jeff Anderson did a great job uh, as as the voiceover and kind of transitioning from making Rand. I mean, Randall is it just feels like it's Randall with the volume turned up even more. And for an animated show, I think that's exactly what you want. And I think he plays it perfectly. His standout episode is probably the one in the courtroom. I would agree that Randall is the is the best character of the show. Um, and I think he's just written that way. He gets the best jokes. He gets the best moments. Uh, yeah, it just, it is, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I think Jeff Anderson, just in general, his, I, I think if you watch the first clerks, I think you're kind of like, eh, 
But like, I think he's he's the best part of the animated show. I also think his performance in Clerks 2 is easily the strongest of any of the performances in that movie, too. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, I And I think he stays as true to his character as anyone else does, like especially the when he bursts out, you know, I, I would buy the store and and reopen it myself moment is is a true highlight of that movie. So, yeah, it's a shame that Jeff Anderson really hasn't had that moment in non Kevin Smith stuff, it seems. Yeah, I mean, the only time I think I've seen him in stuff is when he's in a Kevin Smith feature. And, I mean, I'm glad that if there is going to be a Clerks 3, and I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but I'm glad that Jeff Anderson is in it, because if he wasn't, then what is what are we doing? Well, and that's the thing. is like, I'm going to go see that movie. I have low expectations for it, but I yeah. feel like I'm, I'm, I'm so deep into at least the Clerks part of the USQ universe that that's something I'm interested in seeing. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of like everything after Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, I mean, Clerks Two is probably one of probably the, my favorite thing he's done. I, yeah, I would agree with that. Like, that's a movie I I genuinely enjoy. I don't think it's perfect or flawless or nothing, but I enjoy watching it. I mean, <laughs> Interspecies Erotica is definitely a joke that I've used more than once too. Oh gosh, it's great. Uh, I miss my donkey. Hey, <laughs> donkey uh, oh. show. Uh, okay, so you said your favorite episode was the last one. Mine is definitely the courtroom episode. Although episode two is pretty up uh, is is strong. It's like neck and neck. Yeah, episode two is probably my second favorite as well. So your overall thoughts on Clerks animated series? Um, there's definitely some stuff that has not aged well, but it's still an easy watch. Six episodes, twenty minutes apiece. So it's definitely not something that I feel like my time was well spent watching this again, and that we were able to talk about it. I would love to have seen more episodes just to see what the show would have become, because I think especially animated shows, it just takes a while for, for the shows to find their groove. I mean, you look at the first season of The Simpsons, and there are certainly flashes. There are certainly some very good episodes in that first season, but it took a while for that show to really become the one of the best animated shows of all time, if not the best. And I feel the same way about South Park. I think the first season of South Park can be pretty rough at times. And once it finds its groove, man, like that show definitely has some really, really outstanding episodes in its run. And yeah, I think it's it's it sucks that we didn't get to see the best of what Clerks could have been because I think the sixth episode I think is the best and if that was the best, then I would imagine that future episodes would have been even better because they were finally getting the pacing right and the timing right and figuring out the jokes that work. You know, maybe they could have added some additional characters. So, yeah, I definitely think that this is the one – this is the show I definitely would have wanted to see uh, a lot more episodes just because I don't feel like we – I feel like with Freaks and Geeks, like, yes, that went only 18 episodes, but I feel like I got a lot out of those 18 episodes. I got a story here. It feels like there's it feels like something is missing, even though it's a comedy and the plot doesn't really matter. I feel like I still didn't get the best of what the show could have been. I agree. There's I, it definitely feels like there's less charted territory than what Freaks and Geeks was able to cover, especially as an hour long drama with 18 episodes versus a half hour animated show. And it feels like the last episode shows you just how out of the box they're willing to go. And episode four, too. Really all of them. Like there's just so much more room to explore, more creativity they can do than they would be able to in their live action stuff. So what that would have looked like, what do you've gotten more crossovers that would have been easier to do that you couldn't have in some of the other View Askew movies? How it would have been used to play into that universe, I think, would have been 
very, very interesting. But this is something that it's been probably a couple of years, but it used to be something I almost watched once a year, start to finish. Just makes me feel good. Just makes me laugh. Yes, a lot of it doesn't age well, but if you remember, it's a product of its time. And remember that typically Kevin Smith comes from a good place and some of his execution is off. I think that kind of takes some of the the blow off of it as well. And it wasn't all him. I mean, you know, I'm sure there's some stuff that Dave Mandel did that was just like, Ugh, okay. But as far as it goes, it's something that I, I really enjoy and cherish. And, and even for six episodes, it's like, man, what a, what a six that, that they are. You know, even if three's weak, I feel like there's never a time where I just pop it in and watch an episode. It's always all six in a row. Yep. Is this the best thing Kevin Smith has made? And I'll put the qualifier on it that I mean like original material. So like his – his Kevin Smith speaking tours and stuff would not count. I think you can almost make the army argument for the movie clerks or chasing Amy as being the best thing that he's ever done. And maybe even, uh, yeah, I mean, I tend to think it's the, one of those two, like just in terms of the quality of the filmmaking and the performances and the story that's being told, it feels like Amy and clerks, the movie are the two best things he's done. Followed very closely. I would say probably by dogma and mall rats. It's been a while since I've watched it because I don't know how well some of the stuff in Chasing Amy Age is either. But I would say it's terms like a feature film. That Dogma are his best. Maybe even Jersey Girl you can throw in there. Uh, but it's the one I enjoy the most. Like it's got to be Clerks. But man, Clerks animated for me is one of the top things he's he's ever done. It, you know, it depends on the day, my mood, whatever. I would say there's at times where I consider it the best thing he's made for sure. Yeah. I mean, I would probably rank it so, so right around Mallrats probably is where. Okay. Just I think in it's terms fair. of his filmography, because there's a lot of bad stuff in his filmography now. That's... Right. Well, it's almost um, like once you start once you start talking past Clerks too, you're like, what are you even doing? We're always talking about a different person. Yeah. I mean, you really are. Yeah. Well, that is our our Clerks animated series Kevin Smith episode, and that'll do it for this month's episode of uh, Cancel Too Soon. We're actually not doing a Cancel Too Soon in the month of June because Jerome in June we are back on our bullshit. Oh my God. I mean, I, I literally had to make a schedule for the rest of the year because of course, of course, Better Call Saul and Barry are both returning at the same time, essentially. Yes. So we are going to be back with two new episodes of Jerome and Kevin present in the month of June. We'll be covering the third season of Barry and Jerome will lead us through that. And I will lead us through the first half of Better Call Saul season six part one of the final season of Better Call Saul. So because we're going to be dealing with that fresh material, no new episode of Cancel Too Soon in the month of June, but we'll be back with something in July, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, we're going to sit down and figure it out. But the weirdest thing about what we're about to uh, about to do is we are going to be watching Better Call Saul at the same time. And it's it's very different because Kevin see, saw all – has seen everything well before me, in some cases multiple times. And now there are probably going to be situations where I see the episode before Kevin or we are watching it at the same time. Yeah, because I watched all of those episodes. I don't think I stayed up and watched them as they are, but like, you know, within a day or two of them airing uh, all of all – of, uh, Better Call Saul up until this point in the last yeah. – at least the last season of Breaking Bad. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to experience it and we're going to be going in with like a lot of uh, of guessing and waiting and uh, 
a lot more pontificating and hypotheses than we have in, in seasons past. So it'll be really interesting. I'm, I'm very excited for that and excited for Barry too. I feel like that kind of gets lost in the conversation just because of timing didn't work out so great for that show, but man, that was a hell of a cliffhanger for season two. So I'm, I'm stoked for that as well. I mean, and it's, it's just amazing that all of our friends are coming back because Atlanta is also returning. And I don't know that Kevin and I are the people to do a podcast episode about Atlanta ever, but I mean, that show is so good, too, and it just feels like we haven't seen Atlanta, Barry, Better Call Saul in forever. And uh, I'm just happy that we're going to get to – especially because Atlanta's done with their filming of both seasons, and that show's just done, done. And then Better Call Saul's in its final season, and Barry's probably going to get a fourth season soon. So very exciting. I mean, it's been since May of 2018 since we've seen an episode of Atlanta. That's wild. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Pretty go, crazy. Go watch the Teddy Perkins episode for anybody who hasn't seen that show. Or the one where uh, Paperboy tries to get a haircut. Or is that, or the uh, the nightclub with the invisible car. I mean, that might be the best joke I've ever seen in my life. It's I pretty don't great. Think I've, I don't think I've ever legitimately laughed harder at something than that. Because I just – they mentioned the invisible car. It's like, okay, okay. And then it happens. <laughs> I didn't laugh. Because I had to rewind and go back. Yes. Because you're like, did I just see what I just think I saw? <laughs> and then on, on second viewing, I started laughing. It's just – it's tremendous. Got it. But you're right. I don't think we're the we're the people to, to, to capture Atlanta. So, uh, But with that in mind, Jerome, that's our podcast for this month. We'll be back with two episodes of the podcast next month and then resume. Cancel too soon after that. But in the meantime, Jerome, you got a lot of shit coming out here on The Real World. Uh, yeah, you can go and listen to Brian and I. We are doing Superhero Pantheon. We are reviewing the mid-90s Fox Kids Spider-Man animated series. We have talked about the first couple seasons at this point. And it's funny that uh, Hank Azaria and Mark Hamill and Ed Asner, some of our favorites that we've been we've discussed, uh, have been a part of the, the voiceover cast. And uh, yeah, so we are talking about Spider-Man and We've also done some recent movie reviews as well, including The Batman and, if you can believe it, Kevin Ford, Morbius. I can believe that you guys covered it. I just can't believe that's a movie happening. I saw the trailer so many goddamn times, and <laughs> they rele- them releasing it on April 1st is the ultimate joke. Yeah, that sounds about right. That yeah, sounds like I mean, it's very fitting. It's very fitting. I got a million things on this website, but I'm just going to say if you have not listened to our Barry or Better Call Saul or even Breaking Bad episodes yet, go catch up on those before we give you new ones next month. It'll be uh, worth your time and a good way to catch up if you don't have time to watch or rewatch the series before those start airing again. That's all I will plug. So, Joe, unless you have anything else, I think that's going to do it for this month. Nope, I am, uh, I am good to go. All right. Well, thanks so much, everybody, for listening. and We will catch you next month with our first of two episodes in June covering Barry Season 3. Look, I know people are probably expecting me to call Kevin Ford a cigarette at this point, but that would both be mean. And let's face it, there's a lot of other people that I would call that before Kevin. <laughs>